Alright, so everybody knows how VPN services and ExpressVPN can protect your privacy and security online, right? But did you know that there are some secret hidden benefits to using ExpressVPN, like unlocking movies and shows that are only available in other countries? So if you're like me, you probably enjoy watching shows on Netflix, for example. Well, with ExpressVPN, you can unlock the UK version of The Office or Parasite from South Korean Netflix. Over a hundred different countries. All you have to do is change your location and refresh Netflix or whatever. Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. In fact, when I set it up for myself, I was surprised at how easy it was. It just installs and then loads up and works. And it works on more than just PCs, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and so much more. So if you want to get access to hundreds of new shows, use my link right now, expressvpn.com slash ringslore, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash ringslore, expressvpn.com slash ringslore to learn more. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast, the show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. I want you to imagine that you are an elf, a dark elf. You're not one of the Noldor, you're not one of the Sindar. You are a dark elf in Eastern Middle-earth. One of the groups of elves that didn't go to Valinor, decided to stay in Middle-earth and just took to the forests, found their own homes, lived in the wild. There's not many of you, but you have a small group, a small family group. And one day... The moon rises in the sky. And you've never seen anything as brilliant as this. You've never seen the trees of Valinor. And so a light the size of the moon rising in the night sky, dwarfing the stars that you know and that you love, just shows up one day. And you've existed for thousands of years at this point. You are an older elf. You're not one of the young new elves. Maybe you're the leader of your tribe. And you're trying to explain what you're seeing to the rest of your group. And seven 
days go by in actual day hours not years of the trees seven days go by but you don't know that that's what time is being measured in yet because there's no sun until after that seventh day a sun rises the brightest light you've ever seen comes up the horizon and at first you don't know what's going on the sky is starting to get lighter You're seeing hues of pink and orange on the horizon. The stars are disappearing from the sky. Can you imagine how startling this would have been to the Dark Elves? And before long, an orb, much like the moon, but a hundred times brighter, peaks above the horizon and rises into the sky. How do you explain this to your fellow elves? You don't know anything about what the Valar are doing over in Valinor. You don't know what the Noldor know. The new elves that have come back to Beleriand. All you know is that your world has been changed fundamentally. And over the day that sun rises high in the sky and then falls again. And at night, you're left with the moon and the stars. And roughly another 12 hours later, again, the sun comes back up. And it continues to do that. And the plant life and the animal life around you responds to the sun. Plants are growing. Things are becoming greener. Life is proliferating. Until one day... Not long after the sun rose, on the edges of your woods, there's a commotion. And you and your people carefully make it over to what seems to be riling up the wildlife. And from a distance, carefully, not to be seen, you see figures walking on two legs into your woods. And they don't look like elves. They don't have pointy ears. Their faces are different. And most importantly, their language is different. And they look kind of like elves. If elves were simple, if elves didn't know how the world worked, they seem to still be discovering things as they wandered with looks of awe on their faces. And at this point, They may not have even been wearing clothing or much of it. It's as if these creatures were new to the world. And they are. Because man has finally awakened on Arda. I enjoy taking a look at these concepts, the the pieces of the lore and putting myself in the shoes of the characters, because oftentimes we get this, at least with the Silmarillion at this point in the story, we get this kind of, I don't know, voice in the sky representation of what's going on. This, this story being told from what feels like years and years looking back into the past. 
we don't get the first person perspective of, say, the Dark Elves. We get more of the perspective of the Noldor and even the Valar. But this kind of perspective on the awakening of men is something that isn't written specifically into the stories that Tolkien wrote. But you know something like this must have happened. Because we know that when the sun came up, man finally woke. Mankind, I guess I should say. Men, women. And that they were far off to the east. What potentially was near the coastline of the edge of the continent of Middle Earth. And these new creations, or at least these new, newly known, newly discovered by the elves, creations of Iluvatar, finally awoke. And they awoke to the sun. On that very first morning when the sun rose in the sky, mankind awoke. And they saw the world. And not too long after that, they ran into the elves or the elves ran into them. We don't have the specific story of how that happened. But we do know that to the elves, mankind was a curious creature. The Silmarillion does a good job describing the difference between the elves and the men. This passage here. So, quote, Immortal were the elves, and their wisdom waxed from age to age. They became wiser as time went by, and no sickness nor pestilence brought death to them. Now, keep that in your pocket. No sickness nor pestilence. This is not something they have even experienced. They may have seen this happen among animals, but this does not happen to the elves. Their bodies indeed were the stuff of earth and could be destroyed. And in those days, they were much like to the bodies of men, since they had not so long been inhabited by the fire of their spirit. This is another interesting point. This idea that the flame of their spirit, much like Feanor's at death, changes their bodies over time. Very interesting. Doesn't age them, but yet somehow changes them. And it says which consumes them from within in the courses of time. Almost like their spirits eventually wear out their mortal forms. But men were more frail, more easily slain by weapon or mischance, and less easily healed, subject to sickness and many ills, and they grew old and died. And this passage, I think, is the foundational understanding of the difference between the two. And let's take this piece piece by piece. So men were more frail. They, they were more easily wounded, more easily slain by weapons or mischance. So like falling down and knocking your head on a rock. Men were not as hardy as elves. They healed less easily. The elves found it easier to heal each other than they did to heal men. It was a very different kind of thing. And they were subject to sickness and many ills. This, as I stated before, the elves had never seen this among themselves, but here was a creature that in many ways was more similar to the animals that they interacted with, that they fed off of, that they lived with, that they used in their lives than the other elves. And on top of that, 
they grew old and died. And I want you to take this perspective here. If you are an elder elf by the coming of the men, by the awakening of the men, you could be thousands of years old, thousands of real world years old, tens of thousands of years, real years old, potentially. And into this world shows up these men. And in a very short period of time, they start to grow old. And we're talking, they live to about 60, 70 years old, which is just a bookmark. It's just a footnote in the story of the life of an elf. And we went over the, uh, in the bonus episode I did last week for the Patreon, I went over the, the timeline up into this date and some of the distances in times are tens of years, tens of regular sun years. And like the distance in time between like fan or coming up with the idea of working on the Silmarils and then actually finally being able to do it was something like 50 years, something, something like that, hundred years. That was the life of a man. That was an entire lifetime of a regular human. And so from the perspective of the elves, these are very, very curious creatures. What do they do with these creatures? They don't know anything. They're new. They at least have a language. They seem to reason. They feel they're similar in many ways, but yet so very different. And they were different enough that the elves were now curious about what happens to them when they die. Elves don't die very often. They die from wounds in combat, from grief, but not many things kill the elves. Men, now, and, and again, picture this from the perspective of elves. Let's say, let's say a group of, a, a tribe of men stumble into your forest and then they take up residence right outside your forest. So, so now you're neighbors and you as the elves, as it's been told, start teaching them things. The elves were kind to the first men, many of whom didn't know what was going on. And they saw the elves as being mysterious and powerful. So they were willing to learn. And yet over time, you're teaching these people, these new people's things, and they keep dying. So the elves become curious about this. And also remember that the perspective from the Silmarillion is from the perspective of elves passing this knowledge down over time. And in the Silmarillion, it says, what may befall their spirits after death, the elves know not. Some say they go to the halls of Mandos, but their place of waiting there is not that of the elves. And Mandos, under Iluvatar, alone save Manway, knows whither they go after the time of recollection in those silent halls beside the outer sea. None have ever come back from the mansions of the dead, save one, and I'm not going to tell you who that is yet. That's, those are my words. Because I've got to keep some secret here, right? Some, some anticipation of what's going to happen in the future. There is a story, and I have a feeling we'll get to that fairly soon. But for now, nobody else has ever come back from the Halls of Mandos. Nobody is able to tell us where they go. And unfortunately, after the return of this one individual, he never spoke afterwards to mortal men. So we don't know their perspective on things. Then the final sentence in this passage says, The fate of men after death, maybe, is not in the hands of the Valar, nor was all foretold in the music of the Einar. And this is something I've mentioned before on previous episodes, this idea that 
well, two things. One, the Valar are not in control of everything, which is absolutely understood here, especially with the awakening of the elves and the men. These are things that they did not know when would happen. They knew that they would happen at some point because they were laid out in the music of the Ainur at the beginning of time. They saw the Iluvatar's image of what the world would be and all the history and all of that. But there were still things that Iluvatar kept from them that they do not know. And they do not know for a reason. And whether that's a literary Tolkien hadn't decided the reason yet, or whether that was done for the sake of adding mystery to the story, or if that's just part of his philosophy about the underlying nature of the world and how he thinks that this stuff should work. Or maybe it's a mix of all of those things. I don't really know. But we do know that there are things that the Valar do not know directly. And this is one of them. The fate of men after death. So let's recap this a little bit. It seems like what we do know is most likely the spirits of men go to the halls of Mandos. They're put in a section of that location that is separate from the elves. Similar to other spirits. We've talked about this before with maybe the dwarves and maybe some of these other types of spirits. They're sectioned off. And whereas the elves understand that their spirits at the end of days will go away with the ending of the world, men may not suffer that same fate. And this is considered a blessing. Or maybe more clearly, I should state it like this. This is called the gift of Iluvatar or the gift of men. This idea that men are mortal, that they only live a short period of time, that they can't exist forever in the world, or at least until the end of the world, but yet their spirits go somewhere else. They go to the halls of Mandos, and then at the end of the world, they still exist somewhere. So whereas their bodies are mortal, their spirits are potentially immortal. And will go to be with Iluvatar after the end of the world. And this is something the elves feel is not part of who they are, is not a truth about themselves. But it's something that the men might have that they don't. And so it's a mystery and maybe a blessing, a gift. I guess it just depends on the perspective you look at it from. So let me tell you a little story. You know that we get sponsors on these podcasts and Yuffie, who does these smart locks with video cameras in them, reached out and they sent me a smart door lock with a 2K camera, a doorbell and a finger reader, all the bells and whistles. And I was like, okay, cool. They sent it to me. I already have one on my back door. When I opened this up and installed it, I was like, why didn't I go with Yuffie to begin with? Because this 
is a step above the one that I've been using. The finger reader just works. The 2K camera is so clear. I can see when somebody's at the front door, if it's Amazon or if it's somebody trying to sell me something. It even has night vision and works in the dark. It makes me feel so much safer. Plus, my son can just put his finger on the door and just come right in when he gets home from school. He doesn't have to worry about losing keys and you don't even have to change the batteries in these because it's got like a 10,000 milliwatt hour battery that lasts for like four months. Go check these out today. Search for Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Again, search Eufy Video Lock. I think you'll love it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, here we are in the middle of the show, and this is where I get to thank you guys. And I, I love this part because I really appreciate the support, the kind words, the ratings, joining the Patreon. We have a new member this week, Achilles. Welcome to the Patreon. And that means that we're up to 19. I wonder if we can hit 20. It'd be really cool to have 20 people by the end of the month. 20, 19 of you. Thank you so much. Um, some of you guys sign up as an official patron patron the tier one where you get ad free episodes if you sign up at tier two you get the bonus episodes that i will be adding on every week until i run out of other stuff to talk about but uh generally meta concepts and and kind of bonus stuff that isn't as important as these main episodes so you're not really missing out on anything but if you want extra you want to dive a little bit deeper that's how to do it. And then tier three, if you just want to pitch in a little bit extra because you want to become a VIP patron, you're welcome to do that. This supports me. And if this is one of your favorite podcasts and you want to make sure that I can keep doing this because this is my full time job, I would really appreciate the support. So go over to patreon.com slash L-O-T-R Lorecast. Check out the different tiers. You can get a bunch of awesome stuff. Also, we have a new review. This, this review is awesome. This is from Hasselhoff on Apple Podcasts in the US who writes the greatest of all the podcasts. Holy crap. <laughs> this is nuts. Um uh wow. Uh five stars. Amazing podcast robots/tom makes the deep lore of Tolkien's Middle-earth easy and enjoyable to listen to. Gone is someone just blandly talking about the lore of the books. Tom provides a fresh way to enjoy the lore of Tolkien. Whether you came to Middle-earth by movies or books, give this podcast a listen to. You will not be disappointed. Thank you so, so very much, Hasselhoff. I really appreciate that. Man, the kind words. You guys are so nice. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Um, But I'm not going to take any more of your time here in the middle of the show. We've got more stuff to talk about. Thanks so much for the support. Thank you for the ratings as well on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Here we go. Let's get back to the show. So I thought we'd get into some of the uh, nitty gritty bits here on the second half of the episode. Um, you know, things like uh, the word for mankind is a Dane, which 
might sound familiar to you. I'm sure you've heard the phrase Dúnedain, meaning people like Aragorn was of the Dúnedain, and mankind itself is a Dane. So if we know anything about the way Tolkien uses language, he typically takes and creates words in Elven or whatever language he's doing, and then he moves them around and combines them and reuses them. So Edain is Sindarin and specifically means mankind or men. This is the word that the elves gave them. This is the 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 term when they show up in Beleriand. Eventually the men travel west. And it's said in the Silmarillion that when they woke, when they first saw the sun when the sun first rose above the horizon it rose in the west and so it turned their eyes that direction and the groups of men started moving that way now of course they spread out across all of the continents of middle earth and beleriand and side note they're all one physical landmass divided by mostly by mountains but it's helpful to name them separately so that you understand where events take place. Anyway, they start heading off to the west. Beleriand's the far west side of the continent, right? That's where the Noldor have come in and taken their homes. That's where Doriath is. So they head off in that direction and those elves run into the men and they give them this name. They call them the Edain and that comes from Sindarin and groups of these men found homes. They created places to live. Now, it's also been said that the word Edain means specifically only the men who traveled west, who ended up fighting against Melkor, the forces of evil, that kind of thing. But in general, we know the phrase Edain to mean all men. Now, Dunedain means Western men, and that's a phrase that doesn't really get used until the Second Age, because there's no need for the distinction until until that point. Now, of the men who traveled west, there were a few different houses. Similarly to the way that the elves were divided up initially, but yet still different. So the first house of the Edain is known as the House of Bior. And according to the timeline, they entered Beleriand around 310 of the first age. So the year 310. Now, the timing of the first age is now actually being measured in real solar years. So no more years of the trees, no more 9.583 or whatever number it is uh, change between trying to figure out the timeline here. This is 310 years after the sun rose. So it took them about 300 years to make their way all the way across Middle Earth and eventually settle in Beleriand. And when they did, they were known as the House of Bior. And this specific group was granted a fife of land, a specific amount of land by the elves to live in, in a place called Ladros in Dorthonian. And this was by Finrod Feligund. And I don't believe we've talked about him yet. Um, I don't want to get too much into the different elves and who they are, because that stuff will be way more concisely laid out in future episodes. Finrod was the elven king of the Noldor at this point in time. We're getting a little bit jumping into the future with the timeline of what we know is going on with the elves. So, but he's he's a key character in much of what happens in the first age. He's the son of Finarfin. Finarfin was the youngest child of Finway. So Finarfin was Feanor's younger brother. Finrod ends up being one of the kings of the Noldor. 
So hopefully that kind of buttons that up a little bit for you. So specifically, the House of Bior is given land near where Finrod Feligand is in Beleriand. There's a second house, the House of Halith. And this specific group was uh, led by Haldad and later Haldad's daughter, Halith, and settled in the forests of Brethel. This group was also known as the Haladin, the folk of Halith, the Halithrim, the men of Brethel. If you hear these phrases in future episodes, that's this specific group. And Brethel, you might be wondering, where, where is Brethel? Brethel is actually part of the forests of Doriath. This is between the Taglin and the Syrian River. So Doriath, if you remember, this was the um, the area that was ruled over by Thingol and Melian, and then the girdle of Melian covers those forests. Well, the part given to this group of men was not actually covered by the girdle of Melian. It's kind of a piece of land that was off to the side that was handed over to them as a as a place for them to live. And then there's the third house. This is the house of Hador. This was originally led by a man named Merak and eventually his descendant Hador. They are known as the greatest of the houses of men. And they settled in the land of Dor Loman. And uh, Dor Loman is on the northwest side of the map. So for context, the Noldor would have crossed Dor Loman most likely, or at least Hithlum, the, the northern western side of the map, while marching in to attack Melkor when they got to the continent. So let's do a little recapping here because the locations are important and they're going to play into the context of what happens in the future. The first house is Beor. They settled in Dorthonian. Dorthonian is the northern part of the map that isn't as far north as where Melkor's stuff is. It's kind of a central northern location surrounded by a bunch of mountains. And so, you know, if forces from Melkor are going to move south, that they're going to be potentially in that, right? That, that there's some danger in living that far north. Then we have the second house, the the Haladin, the house of Halith, and they settled south of that in a forested area near Doriath, which is to the western, like the left side of Doriath. There's kind of this outlying forest area that's off the main forest. So they're a little bit south of that other group. And then if you travel north and west, you get to the third group, the House of Hador. So this is important. They, the three groups, the three houses of men are fairly close to each other on the maps. They're also very close to much of the uh, main forces of the elves, the main kingdoms of the elves. And they, for the most part, lie between or very close to the places that should Melkor send a bunch of orcs down from the north, they're going to end up in the lands of these men. So it kind of makes you think, Maybe the elves were putting these people in these places as a barrier, <laughs> some protection against the forces of Melkor, or as these optimal locations with which to combat the forces of Melkor. I'm sure you could make an argument for both of those things, and maybe both of them, again, are true. Sometimes all the options are true at the same time. It's funny how that works sometimes. Now, each of these 
groups. Each of these houses are known for different things. And we'll get to that a little bit more in the future. But I definitely want to give you a picture of what they look like because they are distinct from each other, similarly to the way that the groups of elves were distinct from each other in some very specific ways. So the House of Bjor or the Bjorians were noted as being very similar to the Noldor in appearance. They had dark or brown hair with gray or brown eyes, and only a few among them were actually fair haired. Their skin ranged from fair to even swarthy. Now swarthy, the phrase swarthy means dark, like darker skin. So they actually have a variety of skin tones among this one one house. Now, they also were known to be very broad and stocky of build. They weren't as tall as, say, the other some of the other groups like the, the House of Hador. And they were also known to be eager and smart and quick to learn, cunning handed, long in memory. They were moved sooner to pity than laughter. And they also were described as being more steadfast than the House of Hador. They were able to handle a lot of hardships and sorrows. They were slow to cry, but quick to laugh. The House of Halith, on the other hand, we don't know as much about. We, we're, we're told that they look similar in ways to the Bjornings. Darker hair, gray or brown eyes, that sort of thing. Their numbers were fewer. Their birth rates were barely enough to keep up with the losses from war. Um... They had less women than men and uh, tend this society just tended not to be as organized or hardy as the Bjornings. They also spoke a different language. Their whole language structure was different from the Bjornings and many of them learned Sindarin as many of the Manish tribes or houses did in order to speak with the elves, but they weren't particularly fluent in it. So it didn't come as naturally as it did to some of the other Manish tribes. One thing, however, that they were very good at was forest warfare. The orcs thought twice before going into the forests of the people of Halith because they, and they probably learned this from the elves, learned very quickly how to shoot bows and arrows from hiding places in the trees and, and take out the orcs as they came through the forest. Now, the House of Hador is different from the other two. They were known to be very hardy. They could endure cold, long-distance travel. They were tall and bold and steadfast. They are the mannish group that is known for having blonde hair, blue eyes, very fair skin. They were quick in mind, but they were also quick to anger and to laugh. I think... Uh, Think stereotypical ideas about Nordic people, this sort of thing, right? And they were so tall that they were actually taller than the elves, which is super strange. It kind of throws that whole like height connecting to power hierarchy thing kind of on its head uh, because they weren't more powerful than, than the elves, but they were they were very tall people. They were also the largest of the houses and the most warlike. They were also, some of them who had dark hair, darker traits, and it's thought that those were from um, mixing with inheritance with the House of Bjork, because sometimes men would marry from other houses, right? They'd be cross marriages and those kinds of things. 
and in fact their speech was very similar it was a different dialect but it was very similar to the bjornings and of course they learned sindarin to speak with the elves and one last little detail here before we wrap up the episode it was said that in their youth because their features were so similar to some of the eldar that they were almost indistinguishable from the elves and this caused the elves kind of an emotional uh, disturbance knowing that these people only lived so long and often were easy to die because they reminded them of themselves well that's it for this episode i hope you enjoyed this first look at the manish peoples of middle earth and i look forward to seeing you guys later i will if you are part of the patreon i'll see you pretty soon for the bonus episode otherwise as always i've been tom or robots thank you for tuning in and i will see you next week talk to you later thanks for listening to the lord of the rings Lorecast. if you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds check out my other podcasts the elder scrolls Lorecast, the witcher Lorecast, and more at robotsradio.net if you'd like to reach out i'd love to hear from you Send me a note on Twitter at robots underscore radio or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes or just search Robots Radio Discord or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time. Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.